Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Confessions of a Reformer. I'm your host, Mike Mayashiro, and I've got a special treat for you today. Oh, a treat it is. Oh, the treat is out of the bag. Um, You guys have got a guest (laughs) on the podcast today. I'm excited to share the mic with this wild woman. Um... (laughs) And I usually like to try and open up an episode with some fun stories from life. And so, you guys, to share a bit of that, um, we've got Carrie Lloyd on the podcast today. <gasps> so exciting. So exciting, indeed. Um, Carrie comes over to my house sometimes and with some friends and we watch dark movies. Like really, thriller, like, thrillers. Yeah. Just to be really clear. <laughs> or um, Haunting of Hill House. We did watch Haunting that of Hill, multiple times. terrifying. Yeah. So we all scream. And so, um, Psychological thrill- thrillers. I can't even say it. Psychological <laughs> thrillers. Yes. I don't and, like gore or violence. Right? No, yeah. I don't enjoy that either. <laughs> no. But one thing I want to share about is I have gotten Carrie on video frightfully scared multiple oh. times i'm quite proud of this feat actually so if you go to my instagram story and go to my scare vids icon there are multiples of carrie throughout where she i mean of all the people that get scared she's got like some of the loudest screams it's true from the they're, reactions, they're, which i love i don't think i always like to think of myself as a very peaceful person so when no. someone one time she ended up twice. She ended up on the floor, like face down from being so <laughs> upset. It was awesome. And I'm qu- I feel quite proud of that. Uh, great. All right. So, Carrie, um, listen, I was, you guys, I was talking to Carrie and like the things that we should be talking about on this episode. I was on Carrie's podcast months ago. A year ago? A bit ago. Uh, yeah. We talked about dating, and I hear the podcast episode was quite popular. Big hit. Um,. We were talking at great length about what we should talk about on this episode. Yeah. We had quite a bit of trouble because there were so many things we could talk about. Yes. And none of them were interesting. And we, we wanted original. That yeah. was the key. Um, let's not give the farm away. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so we resorted. <laughs> thanks, thanks for joining we resor- the Night Machine Podcast. <laughs> Listen, we resorted to Instagram and I just we both shared a sticker that said, hey, what would you want to hear us talk about? So I've got a few of the top questions we thought would be you know, things that people would want to potentially hear about on the podcast episode. Great. But, listen, before we get into any of this, we need to catch people up on your life. Oh. Um, I hear you have an interesting roommate. I do. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Who, who, I'm living with my gorgeous bestie, Amanda. 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 Amanda, Amanda. Would people listening to this know who Amanda is? Uh, Amanda Cook. Amanda Cook, singer-songwriter. Worship oh, yeah, leader, I, I know who she is. You know. Great. So, multi-talented. Now, I was talking to you. And... Intergalactic songwriter, she likes to be called now. <laughs> Well, I made it up, and then she went, I like that, let's let's keep that. That's quite... Mm. That's so when right. they go, what's she singer-songwriter? Well, she's just an intergalactic singer-songwriter. <laughs> intergalactic. Yeah. We will make sure Moon Travel is involved at some point wow. during her lifetime. I like that. Interplanetary... Maybe she be the first person to play the piano on the moon. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we're digressing. Um, <laughs> yes. I asked, what do you guys do for fun? And Carrie, what did you tell me you guys do for fun? Oh, we love to do jingles. So we will uh, literally sit at the piano. She's got this beautiful piano um, in our apartment in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, when I'm making, I make my nighttime tea. And she's like, that's a cue for me to start it's making time. a little song for Carrie as she goes to bed. So she'll do a little lullabies. But if we have like an hour beforehand, we've got a bit of room, then I'll just give her topics and subjects and off the fly, she'll literally create these songs. So I'll just give her a subject. And I'm not joking. The, like the recording that you're going to hear is you guys, one take I, I one got a this. recording that we're going to play for you today. Yeah. It was so good. I was like, Carrie, we have to share this. And we, were, we recorded this a long time ago. There are other songs that I refuse to ever air <laughs> in public. Um... <laughs> But uh, this one I'm, I'm happy to share with the world. Excellent. So before we share this little sound bit of moon music. You were crying. Literally um, I, w- I had tears because 
I mean, I don't want to overplay it, but um, yeah. we talk so about the Enneagram every once in a while. Carrie's a three, and <laughs> I thought I was a three, then I thought I was a one. Now I'm convinced I'm a five. That's the Enneagram number of me for the season. You just keep changing it well, every single that, week. No, every like quarter of the okay. year, every three so months. This, three this months. season, I'm a five. Okay, I don't think Except for I probably actually am a five. Well, they, and Carrie disagrees. Which is... I don't think you are because you are absolutely fine with your worlds colliding. And you know, Amanda, I'm, I'm sure will quite happen. Oh right, this best. came up because Amanda is also a five. She's a, that's my phone. <laughs> <I'm> so sorry. <laughs> we asked um, everyone to silence their phones, and then Carrie refused to. And so I this rudely is happening right now. rebelled. That's alright. Um, so she had like this whole thing that her biggest nightmare was if I were to be in a coma and I wake up and I see my all my friends together in one room that was her biggest nightmare her world's colliding if she was in a coma she, yeah if she and I thought surely the biggest nightmare is the fact that you've just come out of a coma <laughs> <laughs> she went no just the idea of all of my worlds colliding in one space there's actually an amazing story that someone had told us of a, fam- a famous like rock star that was a five and he'd invited everyone to his house for a birthday party and he is just nowhere to be seen and about halfway through the night he uses an intercom to speak to everyone in the house and goes thanks everyone for coming uh lots of things for you to enjoy so by all means uh just have a great time and before you knew it like so this guy had invited everyone to his house but he couldn't bear the idea of his entire world's colliding so he ended up just not being at his own birthday party and you don't strike me as that you okay, love parties listen, you love worlds colliding yeah I mean I, I think I, I can't have some... see you having an intercom in your maybe I've just adjust... someone for <laughs> okay maybe I've just adjusted a bit as a five you know like socially yeah. just adjusted to it and learned That's how to cope true. maybe that maybe. happened right oh. maybe I just developed why do you some... want to be a five do you want to I don't be... want to be yes, but I just did. no I don't I don't <laughs> want to be a five but I think that I just identify so strongly with some of the core elements that I've read about right. That the it feels like the show. <laughs> the independence. The, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. listen. Anyway, the Enneagram. So one Which night... Which Mike is not a five. Amanda is a five apparently, right? Yes. Anyway, um, they, she wrote a song. They're talking about it. I want you guys to hear this. Uh, it's a, just a 40 second jingle. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. We'll see. But here we go. I love it. Um, listen, it's you hear it now, but you're going to hear it an hour from now, four hours from now. You heard it for 40 seconds and you won't yeah. be able to get it out of your head. I was singing it this morning when I made my smoothie. Enneagram. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. It's so funny. That's Thank why she's you, an intergalactic songwriter. Indeed. She's just got Catch talent, it. you know? Some people. It's awesome. All right. Anyway, Carrie, let's, should we get on the road let's. with this? You know what I mean? Um, we've got some questions here. We've got coronavirus um, to get through, oh, you know? <laughs> We talked about this. I'm sorry. How we weren't going to talk about that. What I like is someone actually said, please, anything but the coronavirus. <laughs> so this is us honoring that request. But I would say it has. Listen, at the, the recording, at the recording unified, of this podcast, podcast episode, the world is um, freaking yeah. out about the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, a we bunch might, of us are still alive, you though. You might so be listening to this. <laughs> half the population have diminished. So who knows? We are coming to you. If I survive, before. you're welcome, Mum. Thanks for the thanks for the strong genes. If I don't, Mum, why didn't you breastfeed me for longer? <laughs> That's what, the two things I'd like. It. And also, I love you, Mum. <laughs> okay, so at the recording of this episode, the coronavirus, um, we have been told not to gather in groups of more than ten. That's where we're at, at the scale. So you should leave, Mike. But we have <laughs> Okay. I'm sorry. We also, I'm in that mood. Well, yes, you are. Mood. I'm getting a little I'm nervous so where we're going okay. with all this. Um, what was I going to say? Hang on. It's because there's people in the room and I'm a three and I want to I know. You're just like, you're on a stage fun. right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Carries exactly. over your tap dancing. 
<laughs> okay, listen, I'm going to let it go. Um, okay, let's start off with something a little less intense. How about um, someone asked about our writing processes? Okay, yeah. Tell us about your writing process. And you said you wanted me to answer these first, is that correct? Yeah, you write about yours first. I'm going to write about it. I mean, write, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't write about it because it would be very uneventful for the podcast. Listening. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I don't have one. Silence. I think you do, though. You mean that you just assume I must have one because I write? Is that what you're saying? Well, I've seen how you compile things together. Do tell. You what is pace. My you, you go up and You've down not seen all that? the time. Yes, I when have. When have you seen that? When you paced in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. You literally, you would, you would pace up and down when we were trying to, con- we were trying to create ideas for a thing that we were doing. Oh, you're right. And you just pace up and down. So I have yeah. seen a bit of it in it's compiling ideas. And then I've known that, you know, the stuff that you've sent to me that you do write. That was, okay. Um, I'll hold back on judging. That was an <laughs> that was an exception. I said it to you specifically because yeah. of how you were trying bizarre. out. Yeah, you I was were just trying testing something out. Listen, my writing process is I want to explore and take risk yeah. and break rules, which I like. It's great. Um, I think I want to bring a, a Picasso approach. Learn the rules like a professional, so you can break them like an artist. So you just put words in a sentence, but not in the right order. Sometimes, <laughs> sure. So it's completely incoherent. No, I don't do that. But any reader... I learned the rules <laughs> yeah. and then, you break know... Them. Yeah. Well, not a break them. I just kind of flirt with the... Where, how far does this go? Can yeah. I say this? You know, yeah. and sometimes people get lost and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, oh, that's too far. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, I think a lot of my writing has come from... I committed for a year and a half that I would write every night before I went to bed on an Instagram post. Just mm. something, my thought from the day. Mm. And I did that every day for over a year and a half. And my Instagram started growing at that point and people started chiming in quite a bit. And I got a lot of comments like, it's like you're reading my diary. It's like you're yeah. listening to my prayers. Yeah. It's, like, it's like you're reading my mind. Like I got a lot of that kind of thought and I was like, yeah. what is going on? It's really interesting. But that got me into a discipline where I just started learning about my own relationship with words as they came to me and right. what I wanted to do with them. And I've not written a whole linear thought book. Like you, you've, you've yeah. multiple published books. You have one coming out. Let's yeah. take a moment. You've got a book coming out, right? I do. Can we talk about that? I'm so excited about this What one. is your book? What's it well, called? It's called The Noble Renaissance. And I, I, the last two books felt like my teenage books. They felt like... The Noble Renaissance? Yeah. Okay. Um, and this was like my adult book. Oh. If that makes sense. What do you mean? Because I'm talking like about character. Themed. Yeah. Oh. Whereas the other two were just about dating and, you know, choosing... You know, and I had chapter titles like "You say coffee, I say commitment." Let's call the whole thing off. <gasps> so those kind of cheesy nice. but fun little, Ooh, you know. Edgy. But the Noble Renaissance goes a lot deeper into the art of building character. And David Brooks had done a book called "The Road to Character," which I loved. If you've never read it, read it because it's just such a brilliant book. And he has these sort of concepts and virtues of what creates a noble person—not a noble person, good character. But I took it on to a biblical concept of looking at biblical characters and who were the noble ones and mm. um, who are the noble characters in history that have actually changed their culture because of their nobility. So basically, over probably about a year and a half, and this is how I write. So I, I, I get a concept or an idea, figure out if anyone's written about it yet. Um, if they haven't, why not? And um, if there's a space to write about it, what angle do we come on? And so, you know, I'd go into Amazon and type in the word noble and then nothing would come up other than Proverbs 31, the noble wife. <laughs> like, that's really right. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, so there's room to talk about nobility. And it just felt like it was more on the lips of people. Some people were saying that's a very noble thing to do. Mm. And I, was, I remember hearing Chris preach about it. And I even sat down with Chris saying, are you about to write a book on this? He said, I'm going to do... Chris Yeah. Okay. And I said, if I... He said, well, I'm going to do a chapter in one book, but not a whole book. And I said, because I just... I never like to step on toes for authors. Mm. And so um, I said, I think I'm, I'm going to write about it. And so basically took people from history, biblical characters, but also the... Aunt Susans that help in the church with tea and coffee, the ones that never are talked about. The hardest part about this job is that most noble people don't talk about how noble they are. The whole point right, of them totally. being noble is that they're humble, so it's really hard to find them. Discreet. Yeah, so research, and you actually have to find friends of these people right. <laughs> that are willing to talk on to their behalf. On yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, you know, we, we're surrounded by some great noble folks, and so they were great, you know, fodder for stories. But I love to tell stories. So if I don't have a story, I, I don't I can't do very good at sort of talking about a concept unless I have a story to back it up. It's the same with preaching. 
I have to have stories A so I remember it and I have something on stage and I don't dry okay, <laughs> I'm yeah. literally like what do I talk about oh this story you know I always go so I love par- parabolic I wonder if that's why I lauded it as well just so it's stuck in the minds of people when he was teaching a story mm. um, was to that when he's teaching a concept he get, he's giving you an example and so um, I collect stories I, I write down bunches of things all over the shop cards notebooks everything of stories that I have at home in England I have these index filing cabinets of different um, virtues so humility confidence God confidence just on concepts quotes Ooh, everything so I, okay. I build up on the concepts of things perseverance endurance strength grieving process so I kind of create I collect and file tons of things that I find or feel just because I realise it makes writing a book so much easier because then you've sure. got backup right. all the time um but the, the writing process itself is incredibly vulnerable. I don't know whether you found this with when you did the Mike Board book. Well, that was like a compilation of the writings I was talking about in that period of time. Yeah. It was like four years of posts that I'd made and picked the best one, the most yeah. loved ones. I didn't, it actually didn't feel as vulnerable. As I, did I'm it ri- not? No, I'm writing a book right now on discerning spirits and that one does feel vulnerable. And it's been like two years of me trying to write this and I just have this mental block of like, don't do it. Don't do it. You really? Know, I just keep like avoiding because it, it, I think it is. It's vulnerable. I it's agree. so vulnerable. And I'm not. I remember crying. I remember like it was D-Day for getting the manuscript to the editors, the final draft, so to speak. And then it was handed over and into the public realm, if that makes sense. And I remember crying all day. It should have been a jubilant moment. Why were you crying? And I was like, oh, (laughs) It was like I'd given birth and I was giving away my child. Like it was just the strangest, it was the weirdest feeling. And then I just realised... There's no going back. Careful what you sign a contract to. And... (laughs) But actually, it was more, oh, I, the creative process is incredible. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day who's released an album, and they said, you know, I posted it on Instagram. It's the first album they've released, and so I posted it on Instagram, and I just burst into tears as soon as I'd, like, made it a thing. Because Did you just shake your phone as if it was a maraca? No. Yes, but <laughs> like, if you shake your phone, it undoes stuff. Did you know that? What? If you accidentally delete stuff and then you shake your phone, it'll undo. You can have the option to undo yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. You guys don't know that? That's just your phone. No, it's iPhones. If you have an Mike's iPhone, it does phone. that. Seriously. I've never seen that before. Show me now. Okay, so watch. See, I, I, let's say I erase that on accident. I'm like, oh, I don't want to erase that. I'm going to undo it. Oh, that's what the whole cancel undo thing. That's yes. why it's you're shit. undoing what you ty- what you did editing wise and you're typing. So sorry, we sorry. digress. Anyway, that's what I was doing. Sorry, I'm just making sure my notes are in order. I'm listening though. Now, the process of being vulnerable. So, but but actually, <laughs> that is another thing of it builds character. Mm. Being vulnerable builds character. You mm. actually, um, if if we run away from it, which is what most of the world do, we get vulnerable. It feels painful, and so off we go. We go somewhere else and hide away. But for me, I'm like, if, we, if you can persevere through that, then you can write book one, book two, book three. And before you know it, you will actually start to like your books around about book five and book six. I actually really like this one, but it, it's still really scary. It's really scary. And, I'm, and the publisher's been amazing. And they kind of support you on the whole process. And this is why I prefer publishing over self-publishing. Because you have an entire team. They've been in the industry for 30 or 40 years. People are like, well, you don't make as much money. I'm like, no. Yeah, but you're also not going to have the time to call up Barnes & Noble and Amazon and right. all these other people to right. get it out there. So unless you have a platform, and I mean a considerable platform, then it, for me it makes more sense to... That's Go not publishing. preparing you going down self-publishing. I just realized you self-published. probably... I don't know. But... but there are pros and cons to it. One is you do get it out and you can you can own your own words in all the ways. Which feels um, important to me. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I totally understand that. Um, and that's the beauty of making sure you have good editors. And so this that, book, yeah. it's coming out. Yeah. Well, you have like a punchy one-liner for it? Like, it's, what's it? It's basically looking at the lost art of nobility and um, what's the noble choice versus what's the easy job if you think about the what would jesus do bracelets that everyone used to wear and they'd always ask what would jesus do in this situation i i could often justify and miscontextualize what jesus would do so i could get what i wanted to do whereas if i think about asking the question what's the noble choice i'm more likely to do Mm. what jesus would have done right interesting um and so yeah it's basically looking at seven virtues of what comprise of nobility and what are the things that hold us back from nobility and being noble and one of the things that actually help us become uh, noble. Nice. When does this book come out? June 2nd. Okay. Very exciting. In stores. I think we're going to do a book launch in May in Barnes & Noble. 
Wow. Which would be nice. That would be awesome. In LA. Well, actually, we might do it in Reading. Yeah. Just because my house is here and it's my home and you're here and I've got my buds yeah, here. My so buds here. So obviously, we're like, <laughs> Mike's book launch of my book. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. I love that. Thanks, so excited. So you guys, check it out. The Noble... Do you know what? We did a conference in Mexico and this guy goes, uh, Corrie Lloyd is here and uh, and she's got a book coming out in June. It's not in Spanish and none of you will be able to read it, but it's called... <laughs> and then he said, but it's called The Noble Resistance. So I was like, That's the antithesis. The Noble Renaissance. Yeah, we're not resisting oh, being God. noble. We're reviving being noble. Okay. Nice. I love yeah, it. So that, All right. right. So you guys, that's Corrie coming Lloyd. out. Check it out. By Corrie um, Lloyd. If you're not already following Kari Lloyd. Go Kari. <laughs> Gosh. Carrie's yeah. on Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Podcast. She has her own podcast. Sure. It's called Car- the Carry On Podcast. Carry On Podcast. It's better than Mike's. Yeah. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> joking. Okay, That's you can't not say true. that if it's, if it's, no, it's true. Not, it no, is it's true. Not, no, it's not true. Of course, it's not true. You're fabulous. As we were. Okay. Listen. Let's talk about the perspective of the feminist movement, shall we? Oh, well, let's a light, chirpy one to jump into. <laughs> let's just pivot a little bit. Uh, yeah, let's. Um, let's just talk about feminism briefly. Well, let's not go to town, but let's, I mean, I'm sure you've got some interesting thoughts on that, and I probably have other thoughts. And I want to know what your thoughts are, and then I'll oh, find oh, out what mine are. Oh, I see, right, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Let me tell you what your thoughts are. So I, don't have, I don't like to have strong opinions, Mike. I don't know if, no, okay, let's believe. see. Are mine strong? <laughs> I think mine are not fully developed, so I don't, you know, I'm not oh. committed to what I'm about to say. I just feel strong about some of these ideas. I'm all about women being empowered. Yeah. Right? Um, so feminism in terms of, hey, this is unjust. These women are, these people, this people group is not being treated fairly. Blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm all about mm-hmm. that. Let's make the adjustments. Even if it's uncomfortable and sacrifice on our part, let's do it. Yeah. Let's make that happen. Yeah. There's a version of feminism. I think we've got different waves of feminism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know which is what and whatever. But the man-hating thing, I have a problem with. It's like really difficult for me to get on board with that. Do you? I'm totally um, on board with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, a lot of feminism right now is like parading around as that, and it's basically yeah. like synonymous in certain circles. And I'm like, ooh, that I can't get on board with. That yeah. I don't support. That's that I'm not really... like a big fan of. You know, just from a moral standpoint, I'm like, I don't like. There's something fundamentally flawed about that. So I, I think I've got a big pushback against yeah. that thing. Yeah. But feminism, as far as like women, like I think women exposing sexual harassment. Things yeah. that they have to deal with yeah. that men don't have to deal with, or the like, the yeah, real just like certain systemic things that women might actually have to deal yeah. with that men don't ever mm-hmm. consider or have to yeah. face because we don't experience it. Yeah. I think that I'm open to like ignorance on my part, mm. blind spots. Like, I, I wonder if that's actually a thing. I don't know. And I've asked some women around me. I think I've got a lot of conservative women around me. They don't yeah. seem to think it's as big of a deal as we're seeing in media yeah. stuff. I'm like, okay, so I'm like trying to navigate that, but. Mm. You know, I don't think I've come to any strong conclusions on that yet, but I'm, mm. I'm curious. Like, I wonder what it's like for a woman. Because I watched Bombshell. I did a yes. Spiritual Theater episode on that. Yes. It was interesting to see some of those. I think my roommate Powerful. and I left that. We're both dudes. We left with this, like, yeah, I've never thought about that before. I've never, ex- no. I've never experienced anything like that before. Yeah, I've never had to face true. something like that. So that was, like, kind of sobering in a good way. It felt, mm. like, you know, challenging and stimulating. Like, wow, that's really interesting to consider. Like, what would that be like? And, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Is, is that helping? No, this is up? really great. I mean, I, uh, gosh, it's 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 a whole podcast you could do. Mm-hmm. So uh, if we're brushing on the we're subject, brushing. the women in my life, you know, my mother was uh, uh, is a reverend. She's a UK Baptist minister. She was one of the first female Baptist ministers to be ordained in the UK. And my father and mother, my father was a Baptist minister and uh, he was very good at being a visionary and building churches. So there are other people, regional people that wanted him to come to his church and reside in his church and then build it. And my dad started to recognize just the power of what my mum could bring to the, the church. Um, my dad was the visionary, the kind of butt kicker, the hardcore one. And then my mother was the approachable, soft, mm. nurture, um, comforter. Um, some of the parts that we believe the Holy Spirit to be were very much within the sort of female form of God, if that makes sense. And so I do really, truly believe that there's been a real, it's so, I didn't even realize that there are still in parts of America, people not allowing women to speak and preach. And, um, and of course, becoming a female pastor myself, I'm stunned when I have, it, it, may, it won't be my friends, but it might be their parents that are kind of disappointed that you. this is my yeah that yeah. I'm that I'm a female right and it doesn't bother but here's the deal though I think if I start to get offended by that then I bracket myself off from not getting wisdom and insight from very 
interesting insight and perspectives. So what's happened, I think, with the feminine movement is actually we, we, we needed a surge, we needed a push, we needed social justice to happen so that women did have more equality so that they could be used um, in all the gifts and the brilliance that they are. I think us trying to be men is a mm. poor idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can be brilliantly strong in different ways. Um, I know Jordan B. Peterson is a very controversial figure in many ways. And even in England, there was an article of him in the Daily Telegraph that was like, is this the most dangerous mind, mind in the world? What? And, and I, but I actually, I did have a tendency to agree with some of the things he was saying because he became famous after uh, an interview he had in Channel 4 with a female presenter who was like, why are the male presenters getting more than what we are in female and he said, I can't explain the, the dynamic or the construct of your own, of the BBC. I can't explain why these particular television entities are paying certain people over others and contracts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there are certain elements of a female's nature that is agreeable, that is nurturing, that is looking out for the threats that are so necessary and brilliant for teams and for building. But often leaders are often disagreeable. Often they're the pioneers that are willing to bash against the. Yeah. And so he said, I don't think it's as strongly as prejudiced as we think that it is. I actually think on some levels, if you're excellent in what you do, um, you will actually go to the. There are spaces now, thank the Lord, because of people pushing against the, the status quo of what we used to be OK with. And of course, I used to work in advertising, which is very male chauvinistic, very male driven. Um, the only responsive roles that w- the women would have would be assistants. They wouldn't necessarily be a leader. But then I was surrounded mm-hmm. by the women that had actually become creative directors and group account directors and CEOs of their company. But they were excellent in what they did. So I would suggest that there is still that bent on taking on men who are brilliant at that rather than women because mm-hmm. of the fear of the emotional mm-hmm. side of us that we could be. And gosh, if you watch us get angry, I mean, we are terrible. That's why the feminist movement was so strong <laughs> and has created such a controversy i think there's a way of being able to communicate and articulate the the injustice that has happened towards women without being aggressive or emasculating men and when i start to see feminists start to emasculate men i'm out i don't want to be a part of that i want us to empower the men because if we can empower them and i think the search and the justice is just that men would empower women too and it didn't have to be that neither of us could take the seat it's the fact that both of us had two seats to take um and so i think it's still a journey i think it's still a struggle the me too movement and i shared this with mike last night I, I absolutely believe it had to happen, but I, I don't believe we've had a resolve. We haven't created a safe environment for these guys to actually come out and confess, honestly. Um, mm. It's too terrifying. We're like, it's like us asking them to jump off a cliff into a shark-infested ocean with us, you know, because we just want to punish them and put them in jail and slander them. And for me, I, like mm. the Lord's kind of justice looks at lifting up, so they, it comes forward going, no, this wasn't great. But I wonder if there's a way that we can rehabilitate you, that we can make all things good. And so I am looking at the Harvey Weinstein's mad of what he did and taking advantage of his power. And we knew in the industry, because I used to work in the we knew that he was the kind of guy that put people in the corner if they disagreed with him. There was a power thing on all levels. It wasn't just sexual. And yet we allowed it to take place. It took place for too long. And lots of other people got hurt. And so I think we all have to be on a society responsible for taking standards, both for us as women and how we respond to it and be how we actually take it. And if there's a way, a, a movement that we can start to rehabilitate these men that have got it wrong, that did try to numb their pain with sexual endeavours or just trying to get some surge in power because somewhere when they were a little kid, they didn't know how to be a powerful man without abusing somebody else. Mm. Well, I need, I want to find out that movement that rehabilitates these mm. guys so they don't, not, they're not just rotting in jail for 25 years, so they actually know how to redeem all of this and mm. therefore have a space to finally confess and say, I'm sorry, I did that to you. Totally. But kindness is what leads people to repentance. Yeah. So the feminine movement needs to be kind. Mm. So good. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> I mean, I think that kind of speaks to a bigger thing. It's not just around any one particular issue, but yeah. it seems like in general, just obviously in society, but then even in the church, we don't always have the best approach to how do we address problems of people's failures or shortcomings or immaturity or you know moral issues or whatever i think it's the same thing there's not a ton of opportunity for them to get to correct that or walk out walk that out Mm -hmm. in a way they're not Mm -hmm. like ashamed and slandered and put away and whatever else 
Oh, where it almost feels like if you were to admit to something, you basically yeah. have to be done with whatever you've yeah. touched before. You're never touching it again. Yeah. It's kind of like how it seems to come across. Yeah. And, I, and I think when we're when we're deeply hurt, when we've obviously faced our worst fears and they've been played out live and direct in our lives, we we will fall into bitterness. We will fall into venom, venomous attacks mm. if we don't know how to nurture our own pain. So dealing with justice whilst you're in pain is one of the most fascinating concepts to me and I've been studying this because of the book obviously I think oftentimes we want to make the noble choice but we react in our pain so Mm. unmet pain hurts other people Mm. and so we've got to meet the pain somehow without us needing a response of a sorry or Mm. a a plea for forgiveness because we won't always get that so how do I choose to make a noble choice with someone that did did the most evil crime yeah you know totally and that is a process it it can't be overnight yeah and obviously on the feminist subject we aren't gonna do it justice I know some of you guys listening you're like what the that's all they're gonna say this was not necessarily supposed to be comprehensive it could be a whole episode it could be a few episodes right like that's a whole other subject so we're gonna leave that alone for now knowing there's so much more to this than we've talked about but I think segueing right into this other one this kind of feels a little bit dark but um, someone (laughs) someone asked um, what about the hardest challenge you faced up to this point in your life and how you overcame it I want to know your answer first oh no (laughs) yeah I wasn't thinking about that Um, hardest challenge up to this point shoot um (laughs) I have so many things to say in this moment really I have nothing I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I think I don't want to talk about any particular issue because um, I don't just, you know, there's timing to things and they're sure, moving sure, parts sure, sure. and all that. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the, I think I'll say this because I've experienced this a few times. One of the biggest challenges I've faced up to this point in my life, specifically in the area and, you know, vocation I've chosen has been learning how to navigate with people ahead of me or above me mm. in leadership structures mm. or whatever whom I don't feel understood by mm-hmm. or like the, the relationship isn't super yeah. cultivated with, that yeah. is a really challenging dynamic to have to try and figure out and yeah. maybe not always feeling empowered in that, mm. which might be imposed on me or might be coming from inside of my own dysfunction maybe. Sure. I'm not sure, but that is probably one of the more difficult things I've had to face is yeah. like learning how to be a leader with other leaders when things aren't always clear or when you guys aren't on the same page about something or whatever. That has been really painful and difficult and I'm grateful to get to work it out. Yeah. Um, But also it's like, yeah, one of the hardest things I've had to try and figure out. And it's not that this is not just one time thing. It's happened a few different times and not just with any particular leader or group of leaders. It's been, you know, leadership in general. I think anybody who's been any kind of leader and then definitely oh, trying to make any difference. It's kind like, of a given. Yeah, you'll you're going to be misunderstood have to, yeah. by those you're leading, and you'll be misunderstood by people who are leading you. Yeah, it's just kind of humanity. It's part of the deal, right? Yeah. And so that is, I think that for me, that's been one of the biggest challenges um, in my experience has been how do you continue to be true to who you are mm. and what you feel you're called to do, what your yeah. unique assignment is. How yeah. do you stay faithful to that whilst experiencing? Yeah being misunderstood or accused or punished or slandered or whatever Mm. for things that might not actually even be accurate or Mm. true, right? Like, Mm. can you still hold true to who you are and what you're doing Mm. and not lash out at these people, not run away, not bend to the shame and condemnation that's obviously available in that. Um, And I'm currently getting to walk out some of that now. And it's like, that's a, yeah, it's painful. Um, But I think it's a character thing, right? You're getting to experience like, because I get to see some of the ugly that comes up in me of like wanting to Mm. accuse a leader for something. Well, you're the reason this happened to me. It's your fault. This is the way that it is. Or it's really apart anything they start saying. I mean, I can pick up bitterness on people really quickly. But I would say that I haven't felt that from you. And one of the things that I would say you do such a good job at is you are humble in the process you you are always and have always been very very good at asking questions and so you don't even if it might hurt even if it might sting of what other people have done or misunderstandings that have taken place you you sit and wait you don't react which is actually you you might you might react in your own living room in a safe environment <laughs> that that needs to happen yeah. you know it's important to do that otherwise it just builds and builds yeah, and then totally. it becomes a spontaneous combustion <laughs> But I, I actually just watching people that have gone through seasons of being misunderstood and you, you just need a few people that will just stay with you no matter what. And because those are the voices in your life that actually will get to speak into it more than any other. Mm. And so this is why it's so important to me as a friend. You know, I've had times where 
I've um, been friends with someone who did a dramatic fall in their ministry, you know, um, did a, uh, inordinate amounts of messes and hurt a huge amount of people. And in my, just in my connection to them, I'm being warned against them. Don't go near mm. them. They're, they're worrisome people. They'll be mm. a bad influence yeah. on you. Well, then I start to feel misunderstood because I'm like, I'm not easily influenced, number one. Number two, um, I hope that when I make a mess, because right. I'm sure I'm going to make a mess at some point, <laughs> maybe it may not be a catastrophic one because I have a huge amount of accountability. And it's taken me a long time to get to this place in my life. So I'm very aware of what it costs to get to that point. But when you've got the younger type that have just fallen into this favor, take a Justin Bieber, for example. Like, I think because he's a rock star, you know, he can sort of get away sometimes with the kind of the, the crazy behavior that he was doing. He, Of course, he was commented on, judged an awful lot. But there was someone and a group of people that just stuck in it with him and were the ones that pulled him out of it and helped him grow from that exhaustion thing that he went. I'm talking about it as if I know him. I don't. <laughs> just, just an example, just so then we're yeah. all on the same page. And so I want to be that friend that is just there consistently yeah. they're going buddy what happened <laughs> you know and then we talk about it behind closed doors but in front of everyone else it's not really the majority of the public's name it might be in the public interest if this is someone that's a life coach is teaching to you about healthy marriages and they've messed up their own then yeah there needs to be some element of explanation but i think that the the navigating through the building back trust the going through the process the therapy that everything the rest of the people don't need to know that. Mm. They just need to know that it's happening. Mm. And that they should be praying for friends towards these people so that there are actually people that can help. I, I would hate nothing more in some ways than someone that's made a huge mess to go into isolation. The tough part is when you're misunderstood or accused of things you never actually did. That, yeah, totally. That's really hard for me because I... I um, uh, maybe it's a three on the Enneagram. We care too much for our <laughs> reputation. And you want to go around and explain the story to everyone because people have taken patches or pieces of information here and there and created their own narrative. And before you know it, you're like, what? That that never happened, right. you know. Um, and of course, being a leader in this environment, I've had it with students or fascinations with my personal life, you know, my <laughs> dating life. And... Um, and even people that I've dated have said that they dated me for six months. I'm like, no, we had four dates. We had four dates. So that, and I used to want to go around and like go and navigate, you know, correct all of the narratives around. And then it was just, before you know, you're like, this is exhausting. Right. And why am I trying to prove anything to anyone? Right. And so that's what it does. It builds this perseverance and the misunderstanding, the most painful, I mean, kind of veering off the, the question a bit, I guess, of like, how do you navigate one of the most painful seasons? in this case it, it's misunderstanding i honestly don't think you can you can get through anything without community yeah i think that's you know a friend of a friend committed suicide a month ago and she had here's the other thing you can have a lot of community and still not listen to them mm. and um pride is a big thing that can really stop you back from your growth and actually finding help yeah we've had times where you know people have sort of reached out quite manipulatively to leaders expecting them to help them mm. when I'm like gosh you haven't even seen the schedule of this dude so you, you, you've developed an entitlement because they've, they're providing a, a sort of public service mm. of some sort to help people and then I, I start to I start to sort of go well, where's the ownership in our own journey if, you know you, you're in charge of your own emotional health on some level and I think we hope in our community that they'll fix us so there's a there's a there's a happy cocktail of taking ownership, being willing to be challenged and confronted, and I would say, Mike, you do such a brilliant job of that. I didn't do that when I lost my dad. Didn't do it. I just I I just did not want to face the pain, so I numbed it. I numbed it in relationships. I numbed it, in, you know, dating the wrong kind of guys. I was partying all the time. I didn't take drugs, thankfully, because I was allergic to aspirin. I think that was a gift. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally a gift in disguise, I swear. But I, but you know, just anything to just distract me from the pain, and yeah. then it, all it does it, it prolongs it because the heart holds on to pain. Yeah. So until unless you're actually honest and willing to process it, and like our Lord just directly goes after it as soon as it's happening, you know, John the Baptist gets beheaded, he goes straight into the wilderness, mm. and 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 looks at what's going on. Yeah. Garden of Gethsemane, he he's processing pain ahead of time, ready right. for the crucifixion. 
So for me, I'm like, gosh, our Lord actually modeled to us how to deal with pain and how to deal with angst. Mm. Um, and it didn't mean you, you malfunctioned and isolated completely. You might need time for moments, but always he went to his father first. Yeah. And you mentioned the ownership thing. And I think that's an yeah. interesting component to this. One of the things that I would say that for even just my process, um, but something that looks like ownership to me as people are working through whatever issue they're dealing with, especially when it comes to exposing this to community or leaders, is considering what your accuser might be saying. I don't mean Satan. I mean, like, if someone has something against you, if they're concerned about your behavior or your influence or choices you've made or whatever, the impact you're having on your environment, do you have the courage and the willingness to consider... Is there truth or validity to what they're yeah. saying, even though that might put you in a bad position? Yeah. Even if you might come out looking like a terrible person if they're yeah. right, can you at least consider it? You know what I mean? Which is That's uh, the humility part. That's the humility part. Mm. And a lot of us just don't want to... We, we want to... There is a self-preservation thing of, of the fear of being completely rejected by an entire community if mm. we were wrong. Interesting. And so that's, that's why I... You know, I think about my friends who do humility really well, and you are one of them. That if you were to go through a difficult season, I'm like, dang, Mike, my, you know, my other friends are very teachable. In fact, it's probably one of the most number one components I need in friends are ones that are teachable, honest, and willing to take ownership. Doesn't mean to say that we'll always agree on whatever those things are, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But but at least I know it, there are there are fragments. I'll ask a question. I'll know the, the actual truth because it's been told to me by somebody else, and I've got the evidential fact. Are they going to tell me the truth? When you look at when you look at our Lord, I, I preach on this all the time. When you look at our Lord, and He's prophesying over the, the woman at the well. Before He prophesies over, He asks her to go and get fetch her husband. Why would you ask someone to go and fetch a husband if you're about to prophesy saying, you're right, you had five husbands, the one you're living with right now is not your husband. Why would you ask her to go and fetch your husband unless he's actually wanting to see if she's going to tell the truth? Because if you're not, going to, if you're not willing to talk about the truth, if you're not willing to take ownership, I can't, I'm not going to bother pushing you there. Mm-hmm. So our Lord sits for longer with her because she's willing to bring the truth. And when he's talking about truth, it's in worship. Mm-hmm. Worship is in truth. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's one of the hardest things that I had to learn as a pastor. I used to want to bulldoze people down <laughs> with truth. It yeah. was a terrible method. It didn't work. Yeah. And I had to learn what Gabe talks about, the soft toss, you know, just kind of occasionally just throwing these little things in the hope that they'll catch them. Um, because you can't make someone go further than where they're willing to go. And so I like to ask questions of things that I know for a fact and if they're matching up and they're willing to take ownership, then great. But if they're not, not only does that, it's a bummer for your own growth, but also it actually has diminished my trust with you. And I don't want to invest in this as much because it's going to waste a lot of time. Mm. And there are other people that want this time from me that mm. wants to hear my truth and wants to hear my guidance and love for you. Mm. So I'm going to take it there because they're, they're going to run with it. It doesn't mean to say I'm always right. It's why it's important that we all have people in our lives that challenge us too. Yeah. But truth is a big thing for me. And mm. it's, it's the truth and freedom scriptures are some of my favorite. Yeah. But you have to take ownership of yeah. it. Yeah, I think there's a line we all get to consider. <clears throat> am I willing to lose what I currently am clinging to yeah. in order to have what's real? Yeah. Or is this too valuable to me for me to step into the light? Mm-hmm. And do I have to fight for this then and defend mm-hmm. it and whatever? And I think probably a lot of people taper off there. And I've definitely had temptations, you know, in my journey of like, am I going to hold this or am I going to consider? And I found that if you consider the truth, even if yeah. it's negative and it, mm-hmm. it implicates you or whatever, whatever breaks wasn't yours to begin with, yeah. right? I didn't know that the first time I took the risk because um, I've had many opportunities <laughs> to yeah. do this. I'm yeah. not proud of that. <laughs> um, but every time you choose to consider the truth, the anxiety and the control and the fear of loss and all that goes away mm. and you might actually lose stuff but whatever you actually have after that moment's over and the dust settles you're so much freer and more powerful from that place and then any choice you make is consequential and like builds and does yeah. something you know what i mean and so to me it doesn't feel worth it to hold on to your facade no because you have to work all the harder to it's continue false, to maintain it you yeah, know? yeah. it's a false sense of security yeah. th- we think that they're rocks that we're holding on to and it's like no you're building in the sand sweetheart yeah. So I, that's the trust in the Lord, the factor of the hu- every humility piece that we try and build in our character has to come with a trust factor in the Lord. Mm. 
Because totally. the, the ego comes because we feel like it's secure on some level, like it's ours. But if every time I say no to the ego and I actually take on humility and I say yes to the Lord's glory, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice whatever it is for that mm. because that's been the most steadfast thing in my life. But that comes with age sometimes. So that's why we're, <laughs> we're, we're testing the waters a lot more when we're younger. When we yeah. get older, we're like, oh, he's never been wrong. Yeah. <laughs> every time I've listened to his advice, he's never been wrong. Yeah. So the history with the Lord, and that's what I mean. I'm like, oh, whether you feel like it's a few times in your life, every time you, you get better at this, these things, you get better at being taught, you get better at changing and fixing the mess, you get better at um, giving yourself another chance, you get better at being kinder to yourself. I used to really beat myself up when I made a mess um, and just wanted to hide away, you know, or deflect and blame mm. the other person. Yeah. But the more I took ownership, the more confidence I built. There is yeah, a, there is a totally, connection, for sure. absolutely. Yeah. Because I don't feel I don't feel out of control anymore. Because yeah. I mean, if I'm blaming everyone for everything, then of course I'm, every everything is out of my control, yeah. isn't it? It's up to them. But if I can do something, my other problem is that we pendulum swinging, and I think it was all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and maturity actually has has a way of looking at owning what's yours and what isn't yours. Yeah, totally. Okay, so that's mine. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was <laughs> pouring into your one. I told you about. My dad and just grieving and I just avoided that. Okay, yeah. For, uh, the, the toughest time in my life was losing dad. And then how did it get better? How did, what was the, what did you do? Well, I went, funnily enough, I, I did a, an exper- I surrendered to the experiment of being in silence for eight days with Benedictine monks. And it was six years after I'd lost my dad. And I just wanted, I was still at the, yeah, let's do something fun. Let's be in a documentary. Like I was just <laughs> so, like, trying to like... Just live life on the edge all the time. And so uh, they took five busy people and they followed us around for a week and then they plonked us into eight days of silence with Benedictine monks that have been doing this for sort of 20, 30 years. This is for a documentary? A, this is for a BBC documentary. I do not want to tell you what it's called because people are going to start finding so it So we online. can actually go watch it? Yeah, well, you can still actually watch it. What's it's, it called? It's a three How hour, do we find it? I'm not telling you. On YouTube? I'll tell you after the podcast. What? No! <laughs> okay. Three, all right, fine. It's a three hour part three part documentary yeah and at the time i was living with my boyfriend and uh five years and i was working in advertising and i was just a hot insecure mess just really insecure um you know the relationships i was choosing at the time when didn't help um and i think you attract what you believe you're worthy of you know i don't think like attracts like i think you attract what you think you're worth Mm. And so I was very insecure, didn't have huge amounts of worth. And so I suffocated it with noise and busy. No, and I have no idea what you're talking about. Because <laughs> oh, <no>, <laughs> you are just a silent monk <laughs> And um, so I went into days of silence. The first two days, I was like fighting against it. I was having, I was irritable. And I was having problems with the production team. And <laughs> like, it was just like I was finding problems everywhere. <laughs> just a nightmare. And um, and then by the third day, you know, and I couldn't leave. I was trying to escape at night through the forest. That was one thing I was doing. So because I knew they didn't have night cameras, so I was trying to do it at night so the cameras couldn't follow me. What do you mean escape? Literally, because it was some binos. It's like it looked like Hogwarts in Wales. Like it was in the middle of nowhere. It's the eeriest, most scariest bino? place. The Saint Binos. Oh, it was like an abbey. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's a sort of monastery. Okay. Um, but this was now a silent retreat, and I mean, it's a beautiful place. Absolutely stunning. But I was utterly terrified of going into it. And I just remember we turned up and I just started shaking because there was no noise. You can't play, you can't watch TV. Uh, You can read a little bit. Um, You can play (laughs) very soft, slow music. There was Um, a tempo restriction? No wine. You couldn't have wine. I wasn't allowed to have red wine. (laughs) And so the first night I tried to escape to the pub. And I, I managed to get down to a pub, which was about two miles what? away. I'm not taking. And they went, are you from St. Binos? I went, how did you know that? And they went, oh, they all come down here. So they all <laughs> escaped out to the pub. And then I thought, no, I've signed a contract. It's not fair on the production team to be filming five, day, five people in silence when I'm not in silence of down the pub. That's not going to make a good documentary. <laughs> Sorry, it's better. So I'm literally in this kind of moment and I, I, I do get convicted by... Tuesday night I think and I end up just saying listen I 
you know. But it was crazy because some of the some of the wildest encounters I had with the Lord were in that week, and um, I remember because you can't talk, so your your dreams are crazy because your all of your verbs and words are sixty thousand words a day, I think, probably more for me. And there is just this overwhelming sense of my God, this is. Uh, there's so much going on because I've got nothing to suffocate it down it's all coming up and so it was very very powerful and by the end of that eight days I didn't want to leave it because I'd got I'd found all of a sudden the stillness the silence the encounter you know the Benedictine monks said that you know silence is the gateway to the soul and the soul is the gateway to God and so if you found a gateway all of a sudden you don't want to leave it and you don't want to go back into advertising where it's noisy and crazy and bonkers Yeah. yeah And it was a real adjustment coming out of it. Um, but I, I still hadn't really knuckled down the very components of what it looked like to be a faithful Christian by this point. So it really wasn't until um, probably my early 30s that I was really starting to learn about pain. And even when we were here at Bethel and doing school here, I, you know, I was like, gosh, I'm still not figuring out how to do this one. And so now I'm a lot more, I actually knock space out of my diary if some unknown event takes place. I will make sure that I don't book huge amounts in so that I'm actually processing with the Lord and asking him. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we process pain to a point. We vent, we cry, we share it with our friends, we get some comfort from them and then see you later. But when we don't understand why, we still haven't forgiven the person. And it's because we haven't actually processed properly pain. So I think... For me, I had to process not just the loss of my father, but also what would this do to me? Losing your father, losing the person that you you know love to be daddy's girl. What will that do to my relationships? What did it do to my relationships between then and now, six years later? And we're 16 years later now. And um, I'm still getting revelation on, on some of the pockets that I missed out of because he died when I was young. Mm. And yet um, I've worked so hard on healing because I ran after that stuff I get very annoyed when someone who doesn't know me very well might go oh you know well you know your dad had a real impact on you yeah well of course he did he's my father it doesn't mean to say that's why I'm not married that's not and sometimes people link it and it that really gets me that's why I get misunderstood and it really drives me up the wall and sometimes then I go I think I do protest too much is there some reason why you know but actually, the, the the reality is, you know, I'm in a very niche market now. I'm not having sexual marriage anymore. I'm 40 next month. I have just chosen a very self-controlled lifestyle and sexuality until marriage. And I'm a leader in my environment. That's made it a lot harder to feel accessible towards me and approachable to me. Mm. And so that's one of the reasons why I moved to Los Angeles was just to actually, some of the pain could still have been not faced if I hadn't actually started having a social life again mm. and being busy and being a leader and all that kind of thing mm. makes you feel like great 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 we're doing great things for the Lord great things for the Lord great things for the Lord and it and it, you can do the same again and it's not necessarily noise this time or manic but it could be that you fill even your own life with purpose mm. and suffocate yourself from pain mm. so so resting and being still with him yeah. okay we gotta been, move on from that okay now. <sighs> Jeez, Carrie. Sorry. Oh, God. Like, this is what happens at lunch. <laughs> Seriously, that's true. And then at some point... You don't share a story, through. you like flip the switch open, you're like, what's going on here? And I'm like, what's oh, going on? I'm just wondering this question. For like, I knew, before I know it, I'm looking up for my salad and his nose is against the wall. Like, crying, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah. that is true. Mm, um, okay, honest. listen, we are running out of time, so we're oh, going to wrap gosh. this up. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. Um, I'm going to pick one last thing for us to talk about, and then we're going to close this thing. Oh, nope, that's too big. Oh, no. Do a light one. Uh, I didn't pick any light ones. Oh, great. <laughs> Much like your movies. <laughs> listen, you said no. scary movie. I just, you I said it was scary Guys, I chose a hacker slasher film last night. On a <laughs> She was a writer, by the way. Did you relate to that? Uh, that's why. <laughs> yes, I think you picked the terrifying movie so that I would be shaken. I didn't, I didn't sleep purpose. well last night. Like, you did it for real. I know I didn't. <gasps> I was like, what was that? <laughs> and then I'm like, and I'm trying to think of scriptures over my hand. Going, I have the authority of Christ in me. I have the authority of Christ. In me. I swear that chair upstairs in my attic just moved. <laughs> Lord Jesus, 
I'm like anointing my bedroom with oil. Yeah, nice. And I'm like, this has got nothing to do with anything in my house. My house is one prayed out building. There's no way that anything can get into this right now. However, that movie got into my brain and it didn't help. Yeah, that probably wasn't a great movie. It was about a writer. We're going to do this one briefly. I know this one is also going to... All these subjects had like so much potential. But sure. This person was asking, what about your life slash ministry inside oh, yes, versus like outside the church? Yeah. I want to just like briefly, let's just throw some commentary on there and then we're going to land this thing. What is life like? Let me Contrast just get the... your life in church, like your ministry, your life right. in the church context mm. versus outside of the church. I don't think it's that different. Oh, do tell. <laughs> Mike's face just dropped. <laughs> As if you go, oh, we have different answers. Actually, I don't know if that's true. I just, I'm surprised by your answer. Um, well, I just love to giggle a lot. So I, I'm, I'm probably, I don't know whether I'm very helpful for the ministry world or not, but I don't like <laughs> to take it too seriously. I do take theology seriously. Absolutely. Because obviously that, that thwarts us in very different directions. Hello? <laughs> and um, I um, so the next thing I knew in life really was like oh I don't actually feel like I'm working you know I mean of course I've realised we're pulled on in, in, in ministry in itself but I, I exactly what, what I talked to you about on a sofa why do we do what we do the humans leadership the dynamics of I don't know, of the Lord in community, the Lord in our hearts, the Lord in everything. I don't think it changes very much for me. I think I talk about these things and I I always, I choose to lead a life that is accountable on all aspects, you know. I mean, in the secular world, which I live in and not awful lot now, I'm in West Hollywood, um, you know, I'm asked much more brash, candid questions than I am in ministry, I would say. But I think I was built with a resilience to navigate that pretty well so that I have answers that I would say in ministry. I mean, Beth's in the room right now. She's She watches me travel. Now Now I'm not really in ministry, if that makes sense. I, I minister to different places and itinerant ministry. It's real, but I think, you know, Beth will be the one that she'll see. There'll be stuff that will go on behind closed doors I might be hurt by someone or I went on a date with someone I really liked and he's not feeling it and so I have to navigate that in the middle of speaking but I don't hide that from Beth I don't hide it from any of my team because part of my mentoring them and leading them is going bummer that sucks okay how do I we're gonna make sure I don't get bitter make sure I don't get upset I've got a job to do I might cry it out tonight you might see some of the tears but that's okay, we'll be all right and everything will be okay because the Lord's good and he's always got me through these times. And so, you know, she'll see me half an hour later saying that all in the lift. We'll get into, I'm just being honest here, we'll get into, we'll get into this, I'll get onto the stage, I'll be given the microphone, part of me still wants to cry a little bit because I've just been given the information. Um, but, and I'm like, well, if, if this is a good session, the Lord definitely showed up because I ain't got nothing right now, you know? But those are actually some of my favourite moments because then I really know he did show up. And he never leaves me hanging. The Lord never leaves me hanging. And in so those moments, those it's it's great, great it's vulnerable for me. I sometimes get embarrassed in front of my team because I want it to have it all together. But that's actually the space that the Lord was like, But this is your ministry, sweetheart. <laughs> it's actually for you to show what it's like to go through the journey and process. Because otherwise everyone's performing, everyone's burning out for a reason. Right. And so I need you to process well so then you don't burn out and so that your your team know how to deal with conflicts, difficult moments. Yeah. And and that's okay. Yeah, totally. I think my answer is similar. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's been a while since I've been in, I guess, secular. Yeah. I kind of miss it, actually. Yeah. I used to work in the world and it was really fun. I actually really enjoyed it. Obviously, yeah. there you know, parts of it that aren't fun, but, um, the thing that I love about that, I, that I happily can remind you of this. <laughs> great. I'll call you up. Like I'm, I'm missing it. Remind yeah. Me why I'm doing but this it's thing. a great opportunity. Even those, you know, yeah, because what I love I like about that was, I how much I've changed going yeah. back into it now. Yeah. Rather than succumbing to it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was just trying to interrupt you. Oh, what I love about it. I absolutely <laughs> <laughs> Is I love seeing the Lord show up for someone who's been walking with him for 12 years and someone yep. who's never 
said the name of Jesus before. Yeah. Like, he shows up the same. Yeah. He responds the same way. He's not more favorable toward believers. No, he has true. the same level of intensity and compassion yeah. for people who don't go to church yeah. or haven't read the Bible or haven't uh-huh. prayed, prayed Jesus in their heart or whatever yeah. Yeah. to people who've been doing it their whole life. Like, it's mm-hmm. the same. And so I love getting to experience him show up in that context because I get to express in different language, mm. you know, what I feel the Lord doing without yeah. freaking them out or saying things they don't connect to or don't yeah. understand and still seeing, mm-hmm. dare I say, repentance, um, yeah. a response to the truth, um, yeah. a desire for love and acceptance yeah. in that same place, a response yeah. to his spirit, you know? Mm. I love that. And so for me... I think the rules change socially in terms of what, like, you know, decorum and mm-hmm. vernacular and all that. That Those are things symptomatic that you can, that you flow with or whatever. Yeah. But for me, it feels the same. I think my attitude or posture changes depending on mm-hmm. the spirit of a thing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll actually come across with believers a lot more intensely or maybe harsher because I expect more from them in certain totally. things, right? Yeah. Versus with unbelievers. Oh, I missed like, you clicking. What? <laughs> Do I used to, did I used to do that? Yeah, I used to get when you're teaching. Oh, yeah. Oh, I miss you doing that, girl. Oh. I yep. totally took over your That's okay. We're going to, we got to land this thing. Um, okay, here's the deal. You guys, I, never I'm going to take a moment. Such, Carrie, such thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for being on my podcast. You're amazing. You guys, her book's coming out Mike. June 2nd. And no, we're then, not getting married. <laughs> Why don't you say anything for or against it? You haven't said, no, we're not. And you haven't said, yes, we are. Just tell them what they need to hear. You guys, Carrie and I are not no. getting married. No. Is that what you... Because I used to be a man. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. That was a joke. I... Obviously. I mean... Okay, that's not how you want to do it. <laughs> Yeah, there's no... Say the just, jingle. Yeah. I want you to sing with her. If you want to sing with me, sing with her. <laughs> Give it up. I'll do the mic. on a scale. No one's original. You have a That's my favorite line right there. I love that. That's awesome. Thank you for joining us, you guys. We'll see you next time. I'll see you Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.